Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Well, it has been a grueling week as we await the naming of our next president. He wants teams to have to sit and spend a day preparing for the Rockets. I had Philly over Dallas. Check, 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 check. In Arizona, although Arizona, I appreciate what you did on election day. That won't help you on Sunday. They went to the liquor store and found somebody on the cut to start a quarterback. When does it get to a point that some of the teams don't have players that just really can't play. We have a vivid understanding of what's going on, most of them. <laughs> Unless you think we're turning a corner, breathing on each other, hitting on each other, sweating on each other. He's gonna go. He's gonna go. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, and once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh! Mama, there goes that man. You Ladies and gentlemen, star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Happy Veterans Day. Yes, to all of the men and women who served in the armed forces to help keep us safe and give me the protection and the right to do what I'm doing right now. And that's talk a lot of noise and inform and entertain. I hope you guys on this edition of the podcast. Well, if you are back, we certainly appreciate it. But this, if, if this is your first time, and even if it's not, I want to remind you of some things really, really quickly before we get into the headlines and I'll give you a rundown of what we have coming up. I want to remind you to go to the wadeswordproductions.com website. That's wadeswordproductions. Look around peruse and subscribe to the email list we want you to subscribe to the email list so you can be a part of uh, what we have coming up what we have going on what we'll have coming up in the future post corona post covid how about that uh, in addition to that we have a 24 hour a day sports line that we keep available for you guys to comment to vote on things to ask questions to respond to things you hear on the podcast that's 832-941-6614 that's 832-941-6614 and also on social media the facebook group is the sports talk with devin wade group and of course on twitter at wade's words so all that's important but i also want to tell you guys what we have coming up this time out this time e-rob 50 eddie robinson is back in the building the 10 11 year uh, nfl veteran he's retired now obviously but played 11 years in the nfl and uh, uh 10 or 11 I, I always get those mixed up he's our normal tuesday contributor even though this show is on a wednesday two episodes well, we are day late but it's okay We'll get back on track. But nonetheless, uh, he'll be on the show. We'll have some headlines for you guys. I'm going to tell you who was D-Nice over the weekend. And uh, then we'll take a time out and hear from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy on the mix. Then uh, for those who did not do so well over the weekend, it's still called the Blues. And I will get on my soapbox. We will hear from Eddie Robinson. And then I'll give out the Lamont Award for the Big Dummy of the episode so all that and maybe a little bit more so with that let's get started with some headlines in headlines want to double down on my salute to all of the veterans and now again we don't do enough for those wonderful folks that go in and risk it all to protect our rights and our freedom 
Although, <laughs> me and sabotage from the inside out. <laughs> Wait, it is what it is. You, but you knew what was going to happen. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but from external threats, it is those in the armed forces that keep us safe and keep us protected. They leave their families, their, their friends, their communities to go out in the world to make sure that we are safe. And if, if something goes down, they say, hey, I'm, I'm ready. And I think we are detached from that because it's a volunteer army now. We don't have to deal with like the draft. And we, a lot of us don't know people that are in the army or Navy or Air Force anymore. I only know one person that's in the Navy. So I don't know a lot of people like growing up in the hood in my neighborhood, a lot of people left and went to the military and some folks found a lot of success and found a, a career and post uh, military careers. And it was a great, great thing. But nonetheless, I appreciate them for what they do. And I think we should all take time out to salute the veterans. So I want to put that out there. Errol Wilkes, my guy want to salute you and uh, navy guy so he and proud of it uh, yeah it's a wonderful thing uh in the world of sports a lot of things are being dictated by covid covid is worse now than it's ever been in the united states it's absolutely terrible it's bad it's not getting any better there's promise on the horizon but that's months and months and months and months away if in fact it comes to fruition that they do have a vaccine but it's injecting and interrupting the world of sports in ways that we could have reasonably anticipated but now you start to see in college football especially auburn georgia lsu texas a&m ohio state alabama all of those are in games that have been or were scheduled to play games, and those games have been interrupted uh, because of COVID. In the NFL, Big Ben Roethlisberger is on the COVID reserve list after tight end Vance McDonald contracted COVID, and Big Ben was exposed. Now he'll have to test negatively for five days straight and then he can possibly, probably, well, he will be able to play on Sunday if he tests negative all five of those days. But we're starting to see it. Uh, we see Baker Mayfield just come off of the COVID list. We saw Miami missing a number of coaches. We talked about the linebacking core for the Houston Texans that were out. We talked about the receivers in San Francisco. So it's going to be with us. It's going to be a thing. But on the field, the biggest story of the week, the New Orleans Saints. And, of course, I had a conversation with Eddie Robinson, and we'll talk all about the Saints. And I think that there's no one team that's unbeatable. You, you could talk about Kansas City being the best team in the NFL. I will go with that. But I don't feel like they're all time. Like, you knew the San Francisco 49ers back in the day with that team. You knew that the Pittsburgh Steelers were that team or the Dallas Cowboys. All of the sort of the teams, you knew that the Patriots were in it when they were in it. That they, they were it. And with Kansas City, yeah, I'm confident that they are probably the best team offensively and deep. Offensively, for sure. They can do what they want to do just about offensively whenever they are determined to. I think they get in the lull sometimes and their intensity may not be there and they play down to the competition a little bit. But in the big games, they've showed up in a big, big way. And I think on both sides of the ball, they're the best team 
in the NFL. You would have said that about the undefeated Steelers, but the Steelers struggled a little bit Sunday. I, you can see where they overlooked that game and overlooked the Dallas Cowboys and, and Gilbert, the first time starter in the NFL. They struggled, but they got it done when they sort of they flipped the switch and they were able to get it done, although it went down to the wire. So that was a big, a big story. Uh, the Steelers remain undefeated. The big, other big stories, I mean, there are a number of them. You look at the AFC East, which uh, the Patriots won, got back in the win column, and Cam Newton looked good. Although, again, they don't have any offensive weapons around him. Also, the Miami Dolphins going the road to Arizona. And, th- and this leads me to, like, Arizona is one of three or four teams that they falling back down to earth. Cleveland is one. Arizona is one. Well, the Bills didn't fall back. They beat Seattle at home 44-34. And we'll talk about the guys that had that were D-nice, that had a good day, and they were not only nice but D-nice. We'll talk about those guys in a little bit. But Josh Allen played well. But here's something that people are not thinking about. Russell Wilson turned over the football four times in that game. He threw an interception in the end zone. He had another interception and two fumbles. And they still put up 34 points. <laughs> so they are a dangerous offense, but it speaks to how poorly their defense is playing. Jamal Adams was back. They have Carlos Dunlap not helping so far. Let's see if Jamal Adams can improve his play moving forward. But defensively, I mean, it's just surprising how the offenses are dominating in the uh, NFL. The offenses are just doing their thing. You look at uh, so many teams, you say, man, they have a great offense, but they struggle defensively. Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta is one of those teams, they've never not performed well offensively. I think they may have had one game where they didn't play so well offensively. But every week they put up numbers. They do work. Guys are in and out of the lineup, and they put in work, but their defense is horrible. The Texans' offense is not a bad offense. Yet defensively, they're one of the worst in the league. Before Dak was even down. Before their struggles with injuries on the offensive side of the football, the Dallas Cowboys were a good offensive team. They were the worst defensive team. So we, there are a lot of teams that are having big time. Or, or is it just the evolution of, of offenses? Is it just that time where the offenses have stepped up in a major way? And I think part of it is, is that. So uh, Also, something we talked about on the podcast, we talked about Jeff Luno the former general manager of the Houston Astros, and he was fired, came out and said he didn't know anything about it. I said, well, why didn't he sue? Well, apparently he listens to the podcast because he is suing the Astros. So we'll keep an eye on that. And the revival, the reentry to baseball society that MLB is allowing to happen with Alex Cora getting fired because of the cheating scandal in Boston. Uh, although it was his affiliation in Houston, which they say he was a mastermind. He was fired, suspended for the year, rehired by the Boston Red Sox. After what happened, they took him and won the World Series in 2018, hired him back. <laughs> so all is forgiven, which, okay, that's fine. Same thing with A.J. Hinch a few weeks ago. Detroit hired him. All is forgiven. So I just keep warning. I know that there are other guys that deserve that shot. And not with minority managers notwithstanding. Two minority managers, two of the four in the championship series in MLB baseball were African-American. And those are the only two in the game. 
Dave Roberts is the world champion in Los Angeles, and Dusty Baker took the Astros to a game seven of the ALCS. So we can look forward diversity down the road, but right now, um, all is forgiven with guys who have had tainted backgrounds. Although, again, I go back to this. I'm not going to change, even though baseball is a trip, like a lot of these places. If you can win, a lot of stuff is forgiven. If you want to say, okay, well, Antonio Brown is benefiting from that now. Okay, you can. But going back to the cheating scandal, not that serious. Not as serious as they make it. I I will have this conversation with anybody about it. Did they go too far? Yes. How much did it benefit them? Who knows? Is it the reason why they were the 2017 World Series champions? No. It's not the reason. And they've proven this in 2018, in 2019, in 2020. So get out of here with all of that. So I think uh, other things are going on. We'll tackle some of those things on Thursday's edition. So with that, let's uh, let's go into the folks who I deemed special this weekend because not only were they nice, they were D-nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. We're talking about teams that would be nice. Let's start with the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills won 44-34 over the Seattle Seahawks at home on Sunday. With that win, they go to 7-2, and they rule the AFC East possibly for the first time since 1995. They would be nice. Staying in the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins go to Arizona. They win 34-31. That means that Tua Tagovailoa is 2-0 as a star. I doubted him and I doubted Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins. Hey, you that dude, Brian Flores, and you guys were D-nice. In the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Captain America Tom Brady get all of the headlines, but the New Orleans Saints got both of the wins this season. They dominated Tom Brady and the Buccaneers with Antonio Brown 38-3. They sweep the season series, and they were D-nice. For much of the season, the Atlanta Falcons have had the Blues, but after they won 34-27, over the Denver Broncos. The Falcons have won three of their last four under interim head coach Raheem Morris. Matt Ryan is playing well. Julio Jones is playing well. Todd Gurley's doing work. And they are D-nice. Flying under the radar are the Tennessee Titans, but with their 24-17 win over the Chicago Bears, they rolled to 6-2 on the season. They're right in the thick of things. Talking about players that were D-nice, Josh Allen in that 44-34 win over Seattle. 31 of 38, 415 yards. And he was responsible for four touchdowns three through the air one rushing touchdown four and one at home are the bills looking to win that division they were d nice pat mahomes in a 33 31 victory over carolina was 30 of 45 372 yards four touchdowns he is a mvp candidate for sure he was d nice when dalvin cook is healthy the minnesota vikings are dangerous he had 22 carries 206 yards and two touchdowns in a 34 20 win he was d nice if pat mahomes isn't throwing to travis kelsey he's throwing to this guy Tyreek Hill, he had nine receptions, 113 yards, and two touchdowns. He was definitely D-nice. Finally, Thursday night, Devontae Adams got all the way off. Ten receptions, 173 yards, and a touchdown. In his last three games, 30 receptions, 422 yards, and six touchdowns. This dude is D-nice. And all of those players and all of those teams are D-nice. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. 
with that, going to take a time out. Hey, man, we've just scratched the surface on this episode. Still coming up, Eddie Robinson, the Lamont Award, and still call the blues. But right now, I want to hear from Cobank Holmes and our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on any platform in which you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and Cobank Homes. The vision at Cobank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust Cobank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. Cobank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. Cobank Homes with Keller Williams. Welcome back. That is music from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy on the mix. And if you have music you want heard on the podcast, it doesn't have to be a mix. But if you're a DJ, we are taking mixes. If you want to hit us up and get a portion of your mix played at the halfway point and an extended portion played at the end of the podcast, just email us. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. Any bands, any groups, any singers, anybody, just hit us up. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. We hope that it's radio edit, and we'll play a snippet at the halfway point. And like I said, a whole track, a long portion of a mix at the end, and thousands of folks will hear your song, your music, your mix. So that's that's that. So a lot coming up, but for all the victors... They were nice, D-nice, but for those who were not nice at all, it's still called the Blues. When you're talking about teams that have the Blues, you have to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Everybody was excited to see Antonio Brown join Captain America Tom Brady, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were not prepared to play. They turned over the football. They did nothing on defense. They lost both games this season to the New Orleans Saints, and they still have the Blues. When is a win really a loss? It's when you're the New York Giants and you are in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. They beat the Washington football team 23-20. That will get them nowhere, and it may very well cost them the top pick 
overall and a chance to draft quarterback Trevor Lawrence, they still have the Blues. The Los Angeles Chargers lost 31-26 to the Las Vegas Raiders, and this is their sixth loss of the season by a combined 24 points. They don't lose games by more than seven points or less. In fact, nine of their last 17 losses have come by seven points or less. They can't get it done. Anthony Lynn may get fired, but they still have the Blues. The Arizona Cardinals, you aren't what we thought you were. You lose at home to the Miami Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa in his second ever start. First start on the road, he goes in and outduels Kyler Murray. What is happening to the Arizona Cardinals? I don't know, but they still have the Blues. The Detroit Lions, what are you? Who are you? Why are you this way? Three and six on the season, you lose again on Sunday. I don't know who they are, but they ought to be the Detroit football team. That's who they ought to be because they still have the Blues. When you're talking about players that have the Blues, you have to go to my guy, the MVP, Russell Wilson. He had four turnovers in a loss to the Buffalo Bills, two interceptions, two fumbles. One was in the end zone. A rough day, yet he still led that offense to score 34 points in that game in a losing effort, and he still has the Blues. Ezekiel Elliott was supposed to be one of the best backs in the entire NFL. Well, Sunday, he wasn't even the top back on his team. He had 18 carries for 51 yards. He couldn't even lead the team. What's the deal with Ezekiel? Get it together, Zeke. I know you still have the Blues. Grand opening and grand closing for Christian McCaffrey of the Carolina Panthers. He just returned from injury on Sunday after an ankle injury early in the year, and he scored two touchdowns. Great game for him until he hurt his shoulder, and now he's out again. Not to pile on, but I'm piling on Tom Brady. On the evening Sunday night, three interceptions. He looked bad. He looked every bit of his 43 years. He still has the Blues. And why not throw Bruce Arians in the mix? His team was not prepared. The head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had two shots at New Orleans. Hadn't gotten it done. You have every offensive tool in the book, and you can't muster up more than three points as a team, and you can't stop Drew Brees. What are you doing? I don't know, but you still have the Blues. Hey, any way you look at Thanks, Johnny Taylor. We certainly appreciate it. But let me say this. This is the portion of the show which I bear my soul or I get on a political rant. I call or whatever I want to talk to you guys about that's not necessarily sports, although we we are all over the place frequently. But this is my opportunity to climb aboard my soapbox. When we are together, we got power. And now it's time to get on the soapbox. And this time out, I certainly could go on a rant about the shenanigans going on with the regime that is about to depart. And I don't think that I properly conveyed my enthusiasm and my excitement. I was a glass half empty last time, and I'm fighting that. Because Saturday, when actually the race was called, I really was excited, and I really... I'm telling you, and maybe maybe it's just me, but hopefully we all felt this. And even those who supported him maybe felt this. Maybe they didn't. I I don't know. I I actually saw this movie, The Social Dilemma, and it explains a lot. And it referenced something that I kind of talked about last time on my soapbox. But I, I will tell you this. It is it's understandable when you see how technology is skewing things that people can develop their bubbles and question basic facts. If you have not had a chance to see The Social Dilemma on Netflix, prepare for your mind to be blown. (laughs) So it is crazy. And I'm thankful that I'm not a part of the generation that only knows that world, that 
social media, those are those are things, and I'm not dependent on those things. Although I am on Twitter uh, too much, but check that out, the social dilemma. But I was so half empty with my message last time. I felt a weight lifted off of America. I really did. Hopefully you felt it as well. And hopefully the subsequent speeches and statements made by President-elect Biden will help you get over your disappointment if you are. I mean, I, and I know I have a lot of listeners, probably by I've run off probably a lot of any Trump supporters. I'm sure, I'm sure that you're probably still not listening. But if you're like me and like most of America, I mean, you saw the outpouring, the outburst, although not recommended, not a good idea to convene during COVID, the COVID crisis. But everybody was wearing a mask, so that was, that was that. So hopefully we don't see uptick because of the celebration. But it was a spontaneous celebration that, man, the American nightmare might be over only to find out that, no, we have about 70 plus days, around 70 days of uh, foolishness and, and probably yeah, long after that. So anyway, I, I'm not going to comment on that extensively. I have a much more personal issue. I have been catching flack. I did a Facebook live and I have been catching flack. Okay. So you guys know that I have been extremely cautious during COVID. I have isolated myself almost the best way that I could. I mean, I've not done a lot at all and I've been very careful about it. And I'll tell you why. And again, it goes back to me getting sick in January. I had a respiratory issue. In January, it might have been COVID. I don't know. It was pre-COVID. They didn't. Ha I wasn't pneumonia. There were several of the issues that you hear about with COVID. And since then, I have been extremely. I mean, I have not. It took me months and months and months to shake it off, and I'm still not where I was in December after getting sick in January. So I've been extremely afraid. With that being said, I have not gotten a haircut. Part of that is because my stylist, Aunt Barbara, whatever her title was, she, I, I can't go to her anymore. She's not available anymore. So I have not gotten a haircut. And I am catching all kinds of grief from folks in my life, in my inner circle, about my haircut, or lack thereof of a haircut. Now, for me, I don't really, I kind of don't care. I mean, I know that I pro I know that I probably need a haircut, but I just want people to raise up off me about my hair. I have a head full of hair, which is a blessing at my age that I have it. But yeah, I need to get a haircut or style it or something, and I haven't. But I want to explain to you guys it's because of COVID. And if I take and I, and I doubt this, but I have if I take any pictures, do any video, anything that I do, and my hair is long. I can always look back and say, because I'll be here, God willing, because I'm going to take every precaution. I can look back and say, oh, that was that hairstyle was because of COVID. That was the COVID era. That was the COVID style. So there's there's that. So on Thursday, when I get on my soapbox, I want to talk about game shows because we lost Alex Trebek and I want to go to my old school folks and maybe even my new school folks. What is you, who is your favorite? A, who is your favorite game show host of all time? And what was your favorite game show? You have the Jeopardy people. You have 
I mean, there's so many of them. The the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid, the hundred thousand dollar pyramid. You have uh, Wheel of Fortune. You have Family Feud. I don't know. Some of these things they're doing now, I don't even recognize. But I want your take on that. You can call me. Please leave me a message. 832-941-6614. Tell me your favorite game show. I'm going to put up a poll on <laughs> Facebook on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group. Because I want to talk about Because, again, big loss. Alex Trebek is one of those people that is just a constant. Ever since I was a teenager, I remember when they brought it back. So that's a long, long time ago. Joker's Wild. Remember that? Remember Joker's Wild? Remember um, Password? Uh, that was a good one. I like I like that game. What's another good one? There was Concentration. What was the one with the with the no whammy? Was that whammy? I guess it was whammy. Newlywed game. See, back in the day, there were a ton of game shows. They were all over the place. Joker's Wild was one. No, can't sleep on that one. Your match game was the one that they've revived, but there's a couple of them. So whatever your thoughts are, tell me your favorite game show. So without a smooth segue into our conversation with Eddie Robinson, it's not time for me to tell you that here comes our guy, our NFL veteran, and our, I mean, this is a media guy too. He's done it all. He's a biker. Not motorcycle bikes. He bikes. Peloton bike, but outside. <laughs> he does a lot of different things. He's a renaissance man of sorts. Here's our conversation with our guy, Eddie Robinson. For more content, go to WadeWordProductions.com. Oh, man, everything's good. Everything's good. You know, my Saints looking good. LSU lucked out. They don't have to play Alabama this week. So, hey, I'm feeling good. Did you grow up an LSU fan? I mean, because I, I remember LSU was in and out with Mike Archer during the times we were coming out of school. Were you a big LSU fan then? No, I wasn't. Actually, uh, you know, back then, Tulane would play LSU on a regular basis. They used to have a, a, a trophy or a wheelbarrow or something they used to play for, but uh, and that's when Tulane was competitive. They would beat LSU every once in a while. And uh, and, and LSU was just kind of, you know, meandering middle of the pack in the SEC. But I, I think, you know, back when I came out of high school in 88, LSU had a had a reputation of not recruiting inner city kids from New Orleans. And then when they would recruit them, especially quarterbacks, they would want to move them to defensive back or something like that. And so uh, most of the kids that came out in my era, like, you know, Vance Joseph, you know, he used to be the head coach with the Broncos and his older brother, Mickey. Uh, they were probably like the, the number one option quarterbacks in the country. And I think Mickey went to Nebraska and Vance went to Colorado. So we, we had a lot of players that came out, but not many of them went to LSU as far as the, the top ranked kids. And that didn't change until Saban came. And when Saban started really recruiting the inner city kids of New Orleans or just the New Orleans metro area, should I say, I think you saw a distinct change where the people in New Orleans started to then, you know, really root for, for LSU. And I'm talking about the African-American black folks, you know, yeah, so, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and keep in mind, you know, in the 60s and 70s, we were still rooting for Grambling and Southern because we couldn't attend LSU. So it's, it's a just a little quick history lesson, you know, can yeah, keep see, you up to date. Yeah, and LSU would recruit Texas and they recruited Houston 
pretty heavy. Uh, two of their better running back, well, that one of the better running backs of that era, Harvey Williams, is from the Houston area. They yep. recruited a guy from one of my high schools, uh, Torian Polk. He went down there and played a couple years uh, for LSU at running back. So, yeah, but, you know, in Houston, everybody was here. Hampton, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but it's the same way. Now, per capita, you know, LSU, I mean, the state of Louisiana has, has more guys. I don't know if they still do, but for the longest – you know, we had more guys in the NFL per capita based on the size of the state. So, I mean, I mean, it's clear that that Louisiana is just a, a hotbed of college football and NFL talent. And you know, y'all stole a lot of our players <laughs> once Katrina came, and y'all want to claim them like they're from Houston, knowing knowing who, damn well they they just who Katrina is, kids. Who are these? Who are these players that you talking about? We stole? maybe a couple. Man, you know how many players that that. They got the high school of hey yeah out of out of Houston out of Friendswood out of here and those kids were straight from I know DJ Augustine you know he was the point guard at my high school brother Martin you know he transfers to Texas you know uh, well transfers to high school for a senior year and then goes to UT and I said oh yeah he's from Texas man boy from New Orleans man, man you, know, you know how many cats came from Katrina playing football in New Orleans exactly that, 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 you know that how many never, cats came from that, Katrina and if you look at them and, they say and that they're from the state of Texas those are New Orleans kids <laughs> hey. like this when they came down here and were doing bad stuff. Oh, they from New Orleans. When they come down here and they five star recruits and they go on to the NFL, oh, they from Texas. So you take them all. Wait a Don't minute. take some Hold of them. Hold on. Do you know how many guys came from New Orleans that, that stopped playing football after they got down here? So yeah, come you there were some. See, now, see now, you, now you just you just fake news, spreading lies. You know, you know good and well. Uh, Everybody, yeah. Well, you know what, and, and I will say this: I know Baton Rouge is a, a big time area. Doing TSU football, well, some of our greatest players have come from New Orleans. So, yeah, St. Augustine. St. Augustine is the high school that a couple of I got Cortez Hankton, a couple of other guys from St. Augustine in New Orleans. Those were the schools that. Yeah, but but to get back to your question, in the mid '80s and late '80s, early '90s, I, mean, I, I could think of the guys from my high school. You know, Rod West. You know, he was top top recruit. He went to Notre Dame. Ward Manuel. He went to Michigan. Actually, Ward is the athletic director at Michigan now. I mean, it was Stonebreaker. I want to think his Michael last Stonebreaker, name is. linebacker. Was, yeah, yeah. He went to John Curtis, and he went to Notre Dame. So. I mean, all of the top players were leaving the state. David White, he went to St. All. He went to Nebraska, played in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills. So in that in that late 80s, I mean, LSU was was not getting those kids. I mean, all of those, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Florida State, Miami, everybody was coming into the city of New Orleans. And, and that's one thing that really was turned around was that, you know, uh, when Saban started to really go after those New Orleans Metro kids and those kids in state. And he was smart to say, you know what, man, I got enough kids in the state of Louisiana that I can build a dominating program. And once he did that, it just with less miles, it just continued on. And now you see where before you didn't have a lot of people in the city of New Orleans that were well, not black people that were wearing LSU stuff, you know, because we felt like they weren't treating the kids, they, they weren't recruiting the kids. And then, you know, we didn't see them at LSU. So, I mean, nobody had, in my high school was like, hey, I want to go to LSU. I mean, unless you just your parents went there or something like that. But that wasn't the story of the black kids. You know, that was, you know, most of the kids who had a history with LSU. So it's kind of it's kind of changed up now. And I think that's great. And now that you you do see that, you have a, a lot of people who are kind of new LSU fans. I probably started rooting for LSU more, you know, in the saving and post-saving area, less miles, because you see kids 
that are from your area. And you're like, hey, yeah. yeah, man, this kid went to this high school. He went to that high school. I can I can recognize with that as as opposed to Harvey Williams from Texas. I don't know who that is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I so I think uh, you you see that a bit a, a bit more now. And a lot of those kids, Tulane, like when Mac Brown was at Tulane, he recruited a lot of kids from the city and the world and stuff. So it was just like a a, a change up. So it's it's very interesting how that how that worked out. Well, the dynamic here is a little bit different in that the kids. They would, I think, prefer to these some of these kids stay. Obviously, in Texas, man, so many guys get away, man, and, and get out of the state. It's a it's a tough thing to, to try to keep those guys at the state institutions. As many guys as they keep, you still lose some marquee uh, marquee players to leave the state all the time. I mean, going uh, look at uh, Jalen Hurts and and Kyler Murray. Although Kyler Murray started A and M before leaving, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. Recruiting is a is a, a a different sort of thing. It's a, a it's a mystery that every coach tries to figure out and tries to handle uh, their own way. But that being said, the New Orleans Saints, man, what a crushing! Now you Who said, that said they're gonna beat them Saints, and you didn't Who even that? pick them. Who that? <laughs> you didn't even pick them. You you said with your heart you did, but with your head you picked Tampa. And I I mean you're not the only one. Pretty much everybody thought that Tampa, especially with the addition of Antonio Brown, thought that uh, Tampa would beat them. What has uh, the coaching staff, uh, uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, what have they figured out about Tampa that oh, makes them Mike, so Mike Thomas, that's what they figured out. I mean, I think – I mean, now, now the defense played great. So you have to – That's what I'm I talking Tampa, about. Tampa started off with four three and outs. And so I think that was huge. And, of course, the key to, to Tom Brady is to get pressure with your front four. I mean, the Giants showed that in the Super Bowl. If you want to beat Tom Brady, you get pressure with your front four and play coverage. You can't really blitz him because, you know, he's too accurate and too smart of a quarterback. You're not going to fool him with a blitz. He's seen every blitz you can draw up. And so he's going to get one-on-one coverage. You drop a guy, he's going to make you pay. But at the same time, if you can get pressure with your front four, you can make – uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback look quite average. You know, nobody wants to get hit, you know, and, and I think, you know, we didn't start getting sacks to the end of the game, but they had consistent pressure early in the game. And I think once they shut, shut down the run game, and I think, you know, Gronkowski is the go-to guy from that tight end spot. But, I mean, you're talking about a, a Gronkowski that's a couple years past his prime. So I think if they would have, if they could have a young Gronkowski, if they have a, they, they need an athletic tight end. I think that's what they're missing with all of the weapons they have. You know, well, Tom they, Brady they have, and that Gronkowski, like Gronkowski can't win his one-on-one matchups and dominate the game like he used to. And if you look at the other, you know, teams like Kelsey and all these other guys, they have a guy, even the Saints have that guy in Jared Cook. You know, he's a poor man, you know, big number one tight end, but still he can win his one-on-one matchups. And so I think, I think that's a big part of how we stopped them by able to play that man coverage on Gronkowski and not have that fear of the old, you know, Gronkowski. And then think, the on offense, it was is Michael Thomas, and I think people don't realize how much he makes the Saints' offense go. You're talking about a guy that's 100 plus catches every year, and out of his targets, he's like at 90 percent catching the ball. So when they target him 10 times, he's catching eight. So it's just a consistent way, and, and you know they call him the slant man, and, and everything. So, but, but I think that's what the fight kind of was over. There was but he had to fight price. But anyway. But he's one of those guys, he keeps them ahead of the chains. On first and 10, throwing to Michael Thomas, you're almost guaranteed to have a second and three, a second and two. And then it just opens up everything else you want to do with Taysom Hill and Kamara and all that type stuff. So I think with Michael Thomas back and with Emmanuel Sanders, you know, Mike Thomas got hurt in game one. So now is the first time you saw all of the weapons there 
And the offense looked like the Drew Brees offense we're used to seeing where guys were open. And I think when you have younger guys, yeah, they can run the routes, but they're not open by three or four yards. The veteran guys, some kind of way, they're open and they're like wide open as opposed to having to fitting it in there. So, I mean, that, that's a huge difference. And, and the offense looked good, you know, so it was just a good night for the Saints. But, hey, you know what? Does it matter a whole lot? that you had a great night in November when the playoffs in January? Not really. It's just a great night, and you move on. Well, it does mean that you sweep them for the season series, and that gives you the tiebreaker against them. You will have some home field advantage, so that'll happen for them. So, uh, so that it, it, all in all, it's a pretty good deal. And then I thought Emmanuel Sanders really uh, looked good as well. Uh, let's look. Oh, at, yeah. Yeah, let's did. look at Tampa though. Antonio Brown. What was your what's your assessment of what you saw from him in his return to the field for the first time in a long time? I mean, he looked good. I mean, I thought he made some really good catches. I mean, his routes were still crisp, and he's one of the premier route runners in the NFL. That timing is only going to get better. And and you didn't sign Antonio Brown to beat the Saints, you know, on, on November 7th. You signed Antonio Brown to win in the playoffs. And so the playoff version of Antonio Brown is the one that I'm scared of. I mean, you you have to think that one-on-one he's going to win most of his matchups. And, and what it allows them to do and Chris Collinsworth talked about it quite a bit. It was allowed them to put Mike Evans in the slot. So now you have, with an aging Gronkowski, you have Mike Evans, who's a bigger, taller guy, who is running the same type of routes that a tight end usually around. And this is an elite outside wide receiver who's in the slot, who's going to probably match up against the second or third best cornerback. And so that that makes me nervous. Now, like a healthy Mike Evans and an Antonio Brown, those two guys, and not to mention Godwin, I mean – I mean, they're, they're a formidable offense. They weren't at their best that night. But, you know, one one thing my coaches always told me, you, you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. So Tampa really is not that bad, and the Saints really aren't that good. So it's somewhere in the middle. So you just – I mean, those one of those games from Tampa, you throw it away and you get ready for next week. And if the Saints, you throw it away and you get ready for next week too. It, it, it happened as you move past it, and now you got to win moving. I thought that Tampa – what stood out to me, they only rushed about five times. And I know they fell behind early, but I still think that, man, you're a power run team. You have yeah, to. Yeah, you got you to gotta stick to it. Yeah, yeah. you got to yeah to open up things in the passing game. And I just think that, man, only five. That's the, the, the lowest in modern history. I mean, I, they've never well, had. I think, I think that's the self-scouting that Tampa has to do from a Bruce Arian and a coach standpoint to say, hey, you know what? We were down 14. We were down 21. But realistically, the Saints are a first-half team who does have a tendency to give away leads. Historically, I can I can go through the ages. But, you know, you have to continue to run the football and be consistent with your running game and set up the play action and then take the big plays. And, and there's no 21-point play in football. So if you're down 21-0, you're trying to get seven. You get seven and get a stop. You score again, now you're down seven. You know, So you have to play the long game. And, and they, they got a little impatient and you know, saw Brady take some shots down the field that didn't work out. And you can't rely on that big play, although Bruce Arians is a big play, big play guy, and Brady has been throwing deep a whole lot more this year than he did when he was with the Patriots, where he's a he's the excellent, he's the prototypical. Him and Drew Brees are about the best two game managers. I mean, it's not always sexy and exciting, but in the end of the day, they're going to throw for three touchdowns and 300 yards, and you may not have one completion more than 15 yards, but they're going to hit eight to ten. That was vintage Drew Brees, and he threw it to, what, 10 or 12 different guys, maybe a big play here or there, 
But it's like we consistently moving the chains, getting first downs, the defense not on the field, and it's just so efficient. And that's what Tom Brady has to get back to. That's what he is. Now they're trying to – you can take shots deep because that's what the offensive coordinator wants to do. But at the same time, you, you have to coach to your talent. And Tom Brady is the prototypical move the chains, manage the game, don't make mistakes, play high-efficiency football, and they have a pretty good defense. So – to me, they kind of panicked a little bit, and they should have kept running the football, realizing, hey, we can get back into this football game and cut the score. You know, as long as you're down by less than two scores and going into the fourth quarter, you're okay. But they kept snowballing, and the Saints had a, had a good offensive night also. I want to talk about uh, Tom Brady's old team, the New England Patriots, and Cam Newton. Cam Newton gets a win last night. He looked pretty good. T- a little bit of too much punishment. And, and talking to – talk- Pretty good. What was pretty good about that? That was an ugly game. Only reason I stayed up to watch that game, because my guy, Greg Williams, who coached me <laughs> since I was a rookie, you know, he was my special That's teams coach. That's the most coach, hated guy in the coach, NFL. <laughs> defensive coordinator and head coach with the Buffalo Bills. He's, he's, he's like a, a second dad to me. So I was rooting for the Jets. Man, I was J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets. I put on green and everything. I painted my face, and, man, they just couldn't get that win. The Jets had it, and, and they, they just let it slip away. But New England looked horrible. It was it was the worst – not the worst, but it was a, not a good offensive performance. But you got the win, and, and you never apologize for winning in the NFL. I don't care how you win. You take the win, and you get ready for next week. So they needed the win, but it was a very – ugly win that two-minute drive in the end of the game was almost we don't trust our all-pro former mvp quarterback we're gonna run screens and run the football and hope we can get into field goal range on one throw with 10 seconds left so just in case he doesn't do it we won't lose the game in regulation that showed no confidence in the quarterback well at I, all. I i look at that a different way how, how else can you look at I it i look at it in that you know that the guys you have lined up a receiver can't win you talk about winning their matchups they can't win their matchups so we have to move the ball any way we can we know we can't go downfield because our guys aren't open so that's you how don't i have looked to at go it. downfield how about throwing five yards i mean they're playing prevent defense to me, they did not trust Cam Newton to throw the football. What they said was, we'll play in overtime if we have to. We're going to keep running these screens and these draws. And if the game goes to overtime, so be it. But one thing we're not going to do is let Cam Newton lose this game in regulation. Because you saw what Joe Flacco did on the other side. With a minute 27 seconds left, the game's tied up. He throws an incomplete pass. He gets sacked. Then on the third down, he just heaves it up in the air and stops the clock. Take the damn sack. If he takes a sack, he makes New England burn the timeout. You're going to have to punt anyway. Right. And at that point, they don't have time to play that safe football on offense. So the the fact that, and I know Greg Williams was pissed. That's why Buddy Ryan punched Kevin Gilbride in the mouth because we just went down there. We gave up a touchdown because you did nothing in the second half. You, you and I, the offense and defense, blew the 10-point lead, although they blame it on the defense. The offense gave them nothing. You get the ball with a minute, 27 seconds. Worst case scenario, we go to overtime. You run three plays, run no time off the clock, and punt. Then we got to go back out there. You didn't even make New England burn a timeout. So now we got to defend a field goal with a minute, 27 seconds, and they have three timeouts. That's an eternity in the NFL. You you have to run at least one draw or one screen if you're the Jets. At least make New England burn a timeout in case you don't get a first down. But you go three and out and make them burn no timeouts with two incomplete passes and a sack? 
Yeah, Come I on, thought man. that. That's yeah, bad football. I want. I, I thought that was very uh, not very smart at all. Like I so said, you make them use that, that. At least use those timeouts. And at then least Trish, use the timeouts. And then trust your defense. And, and they put them in. A, they put the defense in a bad situation. I want to talk about another decision made similar to what the Texans did versus the Titans earlier this season, which almost cost the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers had an opportunity to kick a field goal to go up by eight. Instead, they go for it on on a. It would have been a chip shot uh, field goal. Instead, they go for it, don't make it, and Dallas has a chance. I mean, obviously, they didn't get it done, but they threw into the end zone to end the game. What's your thoughts on the new philosophy of, oh, no, instead of just taking the points, let's go ahead and try to get the first down? Because that's about the third or fourth time we've seen teams do that this season. It seems to be a trend. What do you think about those uh, those types of situations? Yeah, I'm I'm more traditionalist, and, I, and I'm going to always play the odds of taking that extra point because it's a gimme. And that two-point conversion of going for it on that, that first down, I mean, have some faith in your defense. Now, the, the thing that kind of mixes it up a little bit to me is now is that these kickers, I mean, they're lining up on the other side of the 50-yard line. I, I think it was the Chargers. The kicker was, was damn in his own end zone trying to kick a field goal, and he was long enough. He was just wide right. And so I think – some of it has to do with the way these offenses are so efficient, where with 25 seconds, they can move two big plays and all of a sudden they're kicking the field goal from like 65 yards. You got to do something to make these kickers to be somewhat obsolete. I don't know if they have to give them a, a special kicking ball that's underinflated or something, but the, the K ball has to be something where you got to be really good, maybe narrow the goal post. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's why the coaches are trying to say, hey, you know what, we're going to put it in our offensive hand and, and we're not going to trust the defense to make a stop because it's, maybe it's just too hard to stop guys now with all the with all the offensive weaponry. Or if you get a P.I., it just puts them right there on the five-yard line or something. So you, it's almost like you have to play perfect on defense. I think, Romeo Cornell, you can make a case for knowing you had one of the worst defenses. I think it was a little tough for sale if Pittsburgh would have gone on the loss and lose the game, and we can't go on hypotheticals. But you put yourself in a situation where you have a defense that can handle a first-time starting NFL quarterback, and I just thought that that was a crazy, crazy move. Want to ask you about the Texans and uh, what did you see? What do you think about the Texans, the second win of the season? Offensively, they've gotten some things done. They, they've not been the worst offense. They've been one of the worst defenses. What do you think can the, the second half of the season holds for the Texans? Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you, you, you're not, and I hate to say it like that, but you're really trying to build for next year. So, I mean, it does matter from that standpoint. And the reason I say it doesn't really matter is because you have a lame duck head coach. So whatever philosophy that you're trying to drill into the players right now is going to change in, in January. Let's just be honest. So I don't know. I don't think anybody's expecting, you know, Romeo to be the next coach next year and and with the GM also. So you don't know which direction you're going to go. So, I mean, yeah, you want to build some feel good momentum. And so you don't even know how many of these players are going to be there next year. So whatever you selling to me as a player, you're almost like a, a mercenary. You're, you're playing for your career right now. So it's more individual football, in my opinion, than team football. It's all about you playing good enough to secure yourself a job with the Texans or somewhere else next year. And the coaches are doing the same thing. They're trying to trust me. Every coach on that staff is making calls. Uh, and before the game, every team they play, hey, man, how y'all looking? Did you have a spot? What you looking like? I mean, you just have to. You got to feed your family. So from that standpoint, yeah, you're trying to win. But 
everybody's have to me should have their own self-interest in i mean it sounds it's just the professional aspect of what football is like maybe not what the fans want to hear and so yeah the offense is a little bit more productive i mean you have a league mvp type of guy at quarterback so you know he's always going to make something happen i think the biggest thing is try to get out of this thing and don't get none of your key players hurt and uh, you don't have a first round pick so it's not like you, you you're worrying about getting a high pick you know you maybe get a high pick in the second or third round or whatever they pick but it's just it's just a year that you're trying to get through as fast as you can january what? can't come soon enough for the Texans. i thought something i saw something interesting well a couple things uh, too not that this even impacts the texans but the nfl has a tentatively kind of uh, oh, sort of a contingent expansion of the playoffs if there are games interrupted or weeks interrupted from COVID. I'll get to that in just a second, but let me, let me stick with the Texans really, really quickly. So this week we saw really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was they did not trade Will Fuller. And so that means that they have to be planning to pay him if they did not accept a trade for him. And then you come back a couple of days later and Deshaun Watson said, Hey, it would have been hell if they traded Will Fuller, what are your thoughts about Deshaun Washington starting to throw his weight around and say, hey, no, this is, you know, he, he it would have been hell had we traded Will Fuller. What do you think about that? Well, I think this, Deshaun Watson, once he committed with that contract, I mean, he's the face of the team. You know, he's the guy that I'm looking at on the HEV commercials every day. So, yeah, I mean, he, he should have the right to step up and say, hey, I need this guy. Y'all got rid of D. Hopkins. I need a guy, and I'm not saying Deshaun Watson should have an input on the head coach per se, but, yeah, I think he should have an input on the head coach per se <laughs> because you want to get an <laughs> offensive coordinator. <laughs> so, so, and, when, and when I say that, I, I'm, I'm saying that he's the guy that's going to get you to the next level. You know, talent-wise, he's shown it. Leadership-wise, he's a good guy, clean cut on and off the field. I mean, you paid him as such. He's the face of the franchise. So you have to get a coach that's going to come up with an offensive philosophy that fits what he can do well. I mean, to come back with a, hey, we're going to play a drop-back type approach and throw this and throw that, and, and you're trying to get him to do things that he doesn't do well, it, w- it just wouldn't make sense. So you have to have a coach that can mesh well with your MVP player, you know, who is Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, he should have, you know, some input on what guys stay. If he's like, hey, man, I have a connection with Will Fuller. You know, this guy can be the next D. Hopkins, and him and I can get it done with some other players around us. I think that goes a lot, and maybe that's why they didn't train. But, yeah, you're to me, you're committed to paying him now because if not, he even if you only free. got a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick, right. I mean, that's one more pick that you know. I mean, of course, if he leaves in free agency, they'll get a comp- com- compensatory pick. And, you know, so that'll still work that way. But, yeah, I mean, so maybe they still won't sign. I'm guessing the money they I'm sure they have a price that they won't go beyond. But, yeah, I mean, you have to realize that that Deshaun Watson should have some some input. He's earned that right, in my opinion. And going back to the playoff thing. So the NFL, instead of and I just don't understand this and maybe you can help me understand this. Why will they not even consider the fact that maybe we might have to extend the season? And maybe we'll have to push back 
the Super Bowl. Instead, they're saying, well, if there's an interruption, and we're seeing it, now we know that Ben uh, Roethlisberger is under COVID protocols and he can't practice and can't go to the facility for five days. He has to test negative for five days. So we're starting to see the huge number of players between November the 1st and November the 7th have tested positive in the NFL. So it seems like the days are coming where we're going to have interruptions in play. Why are they trying to expand the playoffs instead of saying, let's push this thing back? What are you? What's your thought process on why the NFL is doing that? Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing is everybody has to be able to play 16 games or 15 or 14. You don't, you don't want to get to a point where you have to have a winning percentage per se. If, if it gets bad enough and they have to cancel – all games one week, which which I know they really don't want to do. I think I'm pretty sure you have that bye week in between the last playoff game in the playoffs, which, you know, I think the year I went to the Super Bowl with the Titans in 99 was the last year that they didn't have that bye week yeah. you know, in between the Super Bowl, which is, a, which is a big week. I thought that was a big reason why we didn't win the Super Bowl, not to get off track, was because, you know, we were a wild card team who played straight through and the Rams had to buy. So I, I feel like that bye week is crucial. But in the time of COVID, if you have to move everything back one week and start the playoffs one week later and take away that bye week, then you have to. As far as moving the Super Bowl back a week, I mean, it's in Tampa and, and I'm sure there's nothing else going on in Tampa except the Super Bowl in January or February. So, yeah, you could do it. I mean, it's, it's a good climate city where another week won't hurt, even two weeks for that matter. And I think if, if it got to that, you could. I'm sure that's not the, the first option, but I don't think you should start talking about expanding the playoffs and stuff like that. So it's just the thing about it is that you can't, and we talked about this earlier, it's not like baseball. You can't say, hey, you know what, we're going to have a team play a double hitter to make up those games and both games will be seven innings on a Sunday and then they can catch up. You can't catch up games in football, you know, because you got to have that period of rest. You can't just go back to back and play games. So, but we're getting to that point where you don't want, a team to win or not win in the playoffs in the regular season because, you know, Drew Brees is not out there and they have to start a Taysom Hill. Or or you have, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, a big-name quarterback or player who's because of COVID is not there. And so I think that those teams who are who are well-suited with first and second-string positions, so you wonder, hey, why does Kansas City pick up a Le'Veon Bell, et cetera? Maybe that's why. I mean, he's not just a good player, but – you can't have enough good quality depth if you're a team that's thinking about making a playoff run because you have the normal injuries that can happen. And then you also have the COVID, which is very realistic. That can happen to any player or coach at any time. You could really have COVID or it could be a false positive and you still have to sit out. So, I mean, you've got to have quality depth if you're talking about making a playoff run because it's so unknown. But one thing I can say, the NFL will get a playoffs in the Super Bowl. We just, it may not be traditional or whatever. If they have to skip a week, everybody play 15 games, whatever they have to do, I can guarantee you this season won't get canceled at this point. Yeah, and with numbers running rampant, boy, it's only getting worse. It's a scary, scary time. We've been distracted I, from I it. tell you, man, it was that Halloween. That Halloween, the numbers <laughs> were down, and everybody was just out. I mean, and my son goes to LSU, and he was like, oh, yeah, Dad, I'm I'm over here. I'm going to this. say, hey, man, you better be careful not looking at the whole football team having you. Know yeah, so, that's terrible. Yeah, when he come back home, he's getting quarantined. I know that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the smart <laughs> I'm thing. I'm putting him in do. the back house for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, final thoughts. Uh, anything else in the world of sports? 
what stood out to you? I know the Masters is coming up. Uh, any, any anything in the world of sports? That, that your this is your your call. Well, you know, it's it's just weird because I'm like, man, what what am I usually doing in November? You know, of course, I'm a season ticket holder for the Rockets, and I'm just realizing basketball hasn't started yet. So I don't even know when they're going to start. I don't, I don't December, think a- yeah, December 22nd, there's the start time. Free agency starts uh, in uh, November 22nd or something like that. So, yeah, there's going to be a r- rapid fire. There's no real huge impact players other than Anthony Davis who's going to re-sign with the Lakers but they're not right. a lot of big names paper champs paper champs yeah. anyway yeah and so th- yeah it'll be a rushed it'll be a lot of movement quick now you're hearing rumors that the Clippers are interested in Russell Westbrook oh uh, man it, I mean it uh, it could get really exciting quick but they won't start until December the 22nd so they'll be playing Christmas Day and uh, we'll have to see okay what I, I I was wondering. I haven't even gotten any email from from. I mean, I paid the money. I'm like, can y'all send me an email? Give me an update. You know, send, <laughs> let me know something. But yeah, so I think that's the biggest thing. And I'm like, I'm like, and then college basketball hasn't started. So and I talk with my my SID at Alabama State. You know, we have Mo Williams as our new head coach, and I think they're starting off with Wake Forest. So I guess I have to pick up some some kind. I'm not a huge college basketball fan, but I'm not, I like to watch Alabama State, especially early in the year when they play some of the big schools and then Texas Southern plays some of the big schools also. So I, I think it should just be interesting watching that. You know, like to say you have mas- the Masters in the fall. You will, the, the Azaleas won't be blooming, so that'll be totally different, but c- kind of cool to see. And um, But other than that, I mean, hey, Lewis Hamilton is just churning out the wins. They have another Grand Prix this weekend. So uh, it's yeah, not, I saw they the, announced the, 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 the season. cycling season has ended, so this is – you know, not a, not a not a whole lot in sports, should I say? You know. Yeah, just the NFL, which you played for eleven years, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I just saw. Yeah, but you know, I can't I can't go to any Saints games. Like this weekend, you have San Francisco coming to the Superdome. The next weekend, you have the Falcons going to the Superdome. I may try to go down to the Falcons game, but that out. I was I opted in, and then at the last minute, I opted out because you know my thing is this. Me flying to New Orleans and going to the Saints game, I get to see all of my people from Brother Martin, Peter Claver, Seven Ward, Six Ward, all the people I played at St. Rock Playground with. So you get to see everybody. You, you you go by the bar by Section 150, and everybody's hanging out at halftime. And so if I'm in there with 3,000 fans, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so and you can't go to the, the ball, right? game yeah. than just the football game. And so for me not to be able to walk in there and who that and talk with my friends and see the people that I don't see because I live in Houston, then what am I going for? You know, so I, I just opted out. It, it made no sense. I mean, I, I may go home the weekend of the Falcons and maybe, catch, you know, if the COVID's not bad, maybe go catch some friends and watch the game somewhere. But I'm, I'm enjoying watching the game on TV. I would love to be there in person. But, you know, you just got to sit it out till next year. That's just how it goes. You know, now if, now if the Saints some kind of way make the Super Bowl, I will be at that game. Whatever yeah, it takes, by hook or by crook, you know. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's that's my promise that I've always made to myself. Whenever the Saints go to the Super Bowl, I will always be there if, if there's a way. You know, God be willing. So, Well, how can folks reach you on social media? Hey, you know, it's at erob 50 on Instagram and Twitter. That'll get me. Hey, man, we appreciate you like always. Okay, take it easy. 
Always enjoy our conversation with Eddie. He normally joins us on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, every other Tuesday or so, we try to get him involved in the conversation. And you know what? It almost jumped off. It, it, when we talked about Louisiana and Texas, I didn't defend Texas as vigorously because I was being a polite host like we tend to be in the state of Texas. But I, I thought that was some great insight to hear the thoughts on LSU and the evolution of LSU in the city of New Orleans. That's something you only get here on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. You know what else you get here? The Lamont Award! I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the big dummy of the episode. Well, with this one, you know, Corona is ravaging the United States. Over a million people in the state of Texas have it. It's really running amok in the Midwest. And yet, we don't learn. We just, we can't get it we don't get it and i know younger people sometimes they take a bum rap sometimes they are sort of unfairly criticized for being irresponsible as it pertains to COVID. but then there are other times like this time and you expect a certain level of irresponsibility from kids just out in the world in the clubs and doing all of those things you don't expect it at a premier university in the united states Notre Dame University, a fine institution, just a wonderful tradition of winning and scholarship and all of those things. As a matter of fact, one of my toughest teachers my senior year in high school went to Notre Dame, and he never let you forget it. And he sent a lot of people to summer school. But not me, because your boy got a certificate for outstanding performance in that department, economics and government and all of that. Did well. Because I was scared of him. I didn't want to flunk my last semester of high school. Because he sent a lot of people to summer school. But he didn't let you forget that his standard of excellence was high because he went to Notre Dame. Well, you wouldn't know anything about Notre Dame and their elite academic standards and the, the students that are cut above. Because when the Notre Dame Fighting Irish beat Clemson the other night, not only were there too many fans in the stands, what did they do after a win in double overtime over Clemson? They stormed the field. Yes, they stormed the field. Thousands and thousands of kids stormed the field. Any other year, it would have been wonderful. I mean, any other year, it would have been 60,000 more folks down there with them. But you cannot do this, especially when your chancellor or your president is he's already had COVID because he went to the super spreader event in, at the White House and he had to come back and explain how irresponsible he was. And then he went in on the, on the students. But you set a poor example. So they stormed the field. First of all, Notre Dame, you've won so many you've, national championships. You've won the biggest games ever. And now you are storming the field for a regular season game during COVID. I mean, it makes no sense. You are the program of... Newt Rockney and Tim Brown and Rocket Ishmael and just so many other guys. Joe Montana, who beat the University of Houston in 1979 in the Cotton Bowl, that was a heartbreaking loss. But you, you have done so much in the world of football. You are always near the top, and they seem to position you guys to be near the top all the time. 
which is fine. And and you either love Notre Dame or you hate Notre Dame. I love the uniqueness of Notre Dame. I'm not a Notre Dame fan because they seem to get all of the breaks and the preferential treatment historically because everybody loves it when Notre Dame is good. But for you to accomplish all of those things, and yet here we are in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic at the peak of the second wave of that pandemic, especially in that state and around that campus, all of you guys and gals that stormed the field are big dummies. You big dummy. <laughs> <laughs> It makes no sense. And I'm not going to just blame Notre Dame because this could have happened on any other campus and it might happen on other campuses. Or maybe that can be a sort of a warning to all other programs. Hey, don't let this happen. It looked awful. And now they won't let kids off the campus until they test negative for the coronavirus. So you want to know why this thing continues to spiral out of control, stuff like this. And again, I'm not just picking on Notre Dame, but I'm picking on them because that was just really, really stupid and really irresponsible. And it's a shame. And I hope the ramifications aren't felt by those who weren't there, those in the community, those parents when they go back home that may get subjected to this illness from their kids. It was a crazy scene. Congratulations to Notre Dame on the win, but they were big dummies. With that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank uh, Eddie, want to thank our sponsor, Cobank Homes. want to thank you guys, want to remind you guys, give us a call, 832-941-6614, 832-941-6614. Tiger Woods tees off in the morning at the Masters. We'll try to have another podcast out for you tomorrow. want to thank you so much. Go to the website, wayswordproductions.com, and go to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group on Facebook, and hit me up on Twitter at Wade's word. And as always, remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after six o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. <laughs> this has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's word. Thank you for listening.